0: We're going to ask the children to make their way to junior church, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning, beginning with verse 31. Believe it or not, we're going to finish the chapter today. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In a little bit, we're going to sing that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. I'm sure most of you have sung that many times before. I was rather happy to see that it was in the program this morning, because I said at the beginning of the week, I've got to call Lois and ask if we can sing that song on Sunday. And then... uh, Toward the end of the week, my wife asked, did you call Lois? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't call Lois, and it was too late by that point. But uh, then she, as she was typing at the bullet, she said, oh, I see you finally called Lois. And I said, no, Lois picked that on her own, so I, I appreciate that. But blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. The words are given to you in your the bulletin there. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Do we really believe that today? Do we believe that we have been born again and that our future is secure in Christ? Is it true? Can we experience that sense of assurance today? As I started this message, I thought of a amusing incident that took place in the life of Albert Einstein and Billy Graham used it as an illustration in in one of his times. He was honored, Billy Graham was honored by the leaders of Charlotte, North Carolina. After they said wonderful things about him, he stepped up to the rostrum and he said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist, honored by Time magazine as man of the century. Einstein was once traveling on a train when the conductor came along punching the tickets. Albert Einstein started looking through all of his pockets trying to find the ticket and and couldn't come up with it. So he looked in his briefcase and he still couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat and he couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And he proceeded to go on down the aisle. Conductor continued punching tickets and as he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and he saw Einstein on his knees, looking under the seat for his ticket. Dr. Einstein, he said, uh, uh, when he went back to him, I know who you are, no problem, you don't need a ticket, I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) 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 Dr. Graham continued, he said, see the suit I'm wearing? I bought it for this luncheon and one more occasion. This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. In John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, He that believeth in me has eternal life. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have you in my hands there, ten twenty-eight and 29, and he said, no one is able to take you out of my hands, and out of my Father's hands as well there. And again, he gives us that assurance in First John chapter 5, in, in verse 12, it says, he that hath the Son hath life, and he who has, does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have. Eternal life. Can we know today that eternal life is ours? The Bible declares it, and so do we believe it. Are we secure in Christ, or can we possibly lose that salvation? Do you ever struggle with doubts? Do you ever wonder if you've done quite enough to make sure that you're going to arrive in heaven? The fact of the matter is, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, it's a gift of God, and we can rest in that gift today. We've been looking at the great salvation that God has provided for us in the last several chapters of Romans. In chapters 4 and 5, we looked at justification. Chapter 5, verse 1 starts out, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. As we looked at the doctrine of justification, we looked at the fact that Christ released us from the penalty of sin. The penalty was paid on the cross of Calvary. That's why Christ could cry out on the cross, it is finished or it is paid there. Then we moved on in chapter 6 and 7 to look at the area of sanctification. In justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, we are being saved today from the power of sin, from its hold on our life and and its attempt to control us and, and use us there. And again, that goes back to the work of Christ. As Paul wrestled with that, he said, who's going to deliver me from this bondage? And then he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we came down to chapter 8, and we're looking at preservation here. Preservation speaks of the fact that the day is coming when God is going to deliver us from the presence of sin. It's going to be gone. We're no longer going to be confronted with it, no longer be drawn to its temptation and so forth. But along the way, he has given us some blessings, some resources to help us to live our life to the glory of Jesus Christ. We've looked at six of them now in Revelation or in Romans chapter 8, and I don't know on our outline up there, the seventh one is we have new assurance, uh, and I'm not sure that... Uh, I got that right in your notes because it wasn't right in my notes. I had it as number six. But if you've been following the last couple weeks, it should be number seven up there. We have new assurance of faith. He begins with a series of questions that are designed, I believe, to increase our confidence in the work of God. The first question comes out of verse 31 where he speaks of the fact that we have today God's favor. He says, if God be for us. That word if can also be translated since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? He's not denying here the reality of our enemies. He's not denying the reality of the spiritual battle nor the fact that we will face some trials in our life. But what he is suggesting there for us is that in the midst of all of our struggles, God is right there for us. God is with us in, in the midst of the battle. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We will face trials. We will face struggles. There will be battles along the way. But if God is for us, who can be against us? What can they do when God is, is on our side or we are on his side there? Sometimes we get the wrong view of God. We think that God is just waiting for us. To mess things up. And then he's going to zap us one way or another there. No, it says God is for us. God is on our side. We we can rejoice in, in that fact today. Don't worry about it, Mark. If, if it doesn't come on, we, we can do without it. We're, we're, we're fine there. We have God's favor today because we are part of his family. We very seldom fight against our own family members. We might fight with them. But uh, in the final analysis, we're usually there for, for one another. And, and in a very real sense, we're part of the family. If God is for us, he said, who can be against us? Second question he raises comes out of verse 32, where he says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? We not only have God's favor we also have God's blessing today. How do we know God loves us? You ever doubt the love of Christ? Look to the cross. There's where we see the depth of God's love. He said, if he didn't spare his son, if he gave him on the cross for us, how shall he not freely with us give us all things? Jesus said in John chapter 15, in in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And just a, a short while later, he did that for us. He laid down his life so that we could have e- eternal life there. And if we're not careful, we read verse 33 and we jump to some of the wrong conclusions. Because, or excuse me, verse 32, sometimes we look at it from the, the world standpoint. We think, well, if God is for us then, if he loves us that much, then he's going to give us everything that we want. We want healing, he's going to give it to us. We want finances, he's going to give it to us. We, we begin to, to make some claims upon God, and that's not what he's suggesting in this verse. His blessings include far more than those kind of things. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he speaks of the fact that his blessings include a living hope. Do you have that sense of hope today in your heart? Do you look at the world and wonder what in the world is going on? What, what's going to happen? Well, we have the hope. We have the assurance that God is in control, that God is going to see us safely home to glory. He goes on to say in that portion of Scripture that we have an inheritance. It's imperishable, verse 4. It's undefiled. It won't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. This is all part of the blessing that, that God has for us. We have an inheritance waiting for us in glory. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he speaks of the fact that today he has given us his divine power so that all spiritual blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we can enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. You ever struggle with patience? It's it's there for you if if you want to claim it. it yeah, God has made it available. It's part of His blessing. It's one of the one of the blessings that He has given to us. God pay, paid the ultimate price for us on the cross of Calvary, and what Peter or Paul is saying here in verse 32 is He's going to do whatever it takes to see us safely home to glory. He's going to make it possible for us. To, to be with him in eternity. In Philippians one six, he said, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Is our salvation secure? Do we have a, a, a secure future to look forward to? The fact of the matter is, it's not our work, it's his. He started it. He's going to complete it. We can rest in, in that fact today. He has blessed us in that way third thing that we see here in this passage is, as this question is raised in verse 33, is we have God's approval. He said, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who will bring a charge? Again, he's not suggesting that nobody will try to bring a charge against us. Satan certainly does. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it speaks of the fact that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Goes before the Father and says, "Hey, that miserable pastor down there—it's it, supposed to be your child—and look what he did. And uh, aren't you glad in those moments that Jesus Christ is there to plead your case?" In, in Romans or First John chapter two, verse one, he speaks of the fact that he is our advocate. He stands before the Father and said, "Yes, he—he he did this, but." I paid for that on the cross. That sin has been paid for and settled on Calvary. We get a glimpse of the accusations of the enemy in the book of Job. Remember, the Lord asked, Job, have you, or asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And he began to, Satan began to accuse Job. Well, you know what? The only reason he's serving you is because you've blessed him. You, know, you let me touch him and, and he'll curse you. And so God said, okay, touch him. But remember, even in that story, God set the limits there. And today, he does the same thing in our lives. God is the one. We have his approval. It doesn't matter what Satan may accuse us of. He says, this is my child. I paid for that. We can rest on what he has done. Satan may seek to condemn us, may accuse us. Others may do the same. The fact of the matter is, it's God who justifies it's God who has the final authority. He is the one that has the final say. Aren't you glad of that? Not your enemies. Not what other people may say about you. It's what God says that counts. Someday we're going to stand before his throne and Jesus Christ is going to be there right beside us to plead our case before the Father there. And so that, with that comes the fact that we have God's help today. We saw that back in verse 26, that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be honored. And we recognize the fact there that we need the intercessory work of the Spirit of God. How many times even maybe this week have you had a situation touch your life and you didn't know how to pray for it? What was God's will? What what did he want for you? How did he want to answer that particular trial or or circumstance that you were facing. Isn't it great in those moments to say, Lord, I I, I don't know the direction, but you do, and and turn that over to the Holy Spirit and let him intercede and and pray for you there? Well, the fact of the matter is Jesus himself prays for us. In in verse 34 he says, he's at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. That same idea comes out of Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, it says, he is able to save to the uttermost, or forever there, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for that. Think of what he's saying there. He is able to save us to the uttermost, even when we fail, even when we stumble. He is making intercession for us. He's going to complete the work that he started in us. One of the greatest prayers that Jesus prayed is found in John chapter 17 I'm not going to take time to to read it this morning but in John chapter 17 we have his high priestly prayer where he's praying for us and his the thrust of his prayer is that we would be with him in glory that we would share in, in that glory and uh, you know as I read that prayer we have all kinds of programs today promise and security we have our IRAs We have our insurance programs. We we have our safety deposit boxes. We we have our bank accounts. The fact of the matter is the only eternal security we have rests in Jesus Christ. He is praying for us. He is going to see us safely home to glory. Have you ever, you know, sometimes I think we get a mistaken impression of ourselves. We, We think we're a little bit more powerful than we really are. He's the one that's going to accomplish that work of salvation, not us. He's the one that is praying for us. Can you, can you imagine anybody that is able to stop the will of Jesus Christ as he prays for us? Can you imagine anyone that's greater than, that could step in and say, wait a minute, that's not going to happen, I'm not going to allow it? No. He is praying for us today. We can rest, I believe, in that fact. We sing that song, Blessed Assurance. Why? He's praying for us. He's there for us today. And then I I love the next one. We have God's love. Beginning in verse 35, he raises the question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? This is a a tremendous passage. I I hope you can get your mind wrapped around what, what he's saying in verses 35 through 39, a very powerful word of scripture there. A realistic view of life. Notice in verse 35, or verse, yeah, verse 35, he talks about tribulation, distresses, persecution, famine, nakedness, pearl, sword. What is he saying in that? He's saying that you and I are going to have some trials. And if you have a trial this week? If you didn't, I'll pray for you. Any of you going through some, some difficult circumstances? He never promised us a bed of roses in this world. Uh, matter of fact, well, we do have some roses along the way, but you know, one thing I hate about rose bushes is they're loaded with thorns. <laughs> along with the blessing comes the trials, doesn't it? And sometimes the trial is a blessing in, in disguise. But uh, he, he takes a rather realistic view of life in verse 35. He said, this is going to happen. But he said, I don't write this to discourage you. I write this so that you will know that nothing, no matter what it is that's touching your life today, it is not going to separate you from my love. He is at work in our lives. Verse 36, he says, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. That's where we're at. We're sheep to be slaughtered in a sense. But, notice verse 37, he says, but... In all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. There is nothing, he goes on to assure us, that will separate us from his love. How can we say that when we pray and God doesn't seem to answer? And if you have some unanswered prayers in your life, how how can we say he loves us when, when he doesn't answer our prayers? Well, he does answer those prayers. He just doesn't do it our way. I, I think of the times when, when we had children living at home, they came with many requests. Uh, they had to learn sometimes that no was an answer. Uh, you, you ever experienced that? Yeah. God, God loves us enough to say no, because he knows that what we're asking for isn't for our best, so he, he will say no. That, that is an answer. He does answer prayer. We need to go back, I think, to chapter, or verse 28, where he says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Even a no answer works together for good. God's doing something good in our life. We may not understand that, but he is doing that. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, he speaks of the fact in, in verses 16 and 17. He said, though we do... Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal there. He speaks of momentary light affliction. And yet in the midst of a trial we don't see it as momentary. We don't see it as light, do we? we? We feel the weight of it. But notice what he's saying there. He said, you know, as, as difficult as that experience may be and as tough as it is, it's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that God has of, of what he is doing in our life and what we're going to experience in eternity. I think sometimes it's good for us to pray, Lord, get our eyes off of, the temporal, and onto the eternal. Get our eyes off of the problems and onto the glorious future that you have prepared for us. Sometimes we get so taken up with the the depth of the trial that we forget that God loves us. He, He is there every step of the way. He loves us like a parent loves a child. And so in verse 38, he starts out, I am persuaded or I am convinced and then he gives us a whole long list there, but the word that he uses there, "convinced," is a very strong word in Greek. He is what he is saying is, "I am absolutely 100% sure that there is nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God." We allow, if we're not careful, a little bit of element of doubt to slip into our lives, don't we? God is Paul is saying, "There's no doubt. I I am totally." A hundred percent convinced that nothing will separate me from the love of God. Now, this is a far-reaching statement here. He says neither life, neither death, nor life. Death is not the end for the child of God. We're just stepping into eternity and into the, a greater awareness of the love of Christ. We we are looking forward to a glorious eternity with Him. Not even death can separate us from His love, as He said. To be absent from the body is what. To be present with the Lord, and so, in life and in death, He is there with us. As a matter of fact, the Psalmist promises us in Psalm twenty-three: "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me." He's there in the midst of the of the valley with us. I like the attitude of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. I, I started the year out in Philippians chapter 1, and now I'm putting the men through it in, in our Wednesday Bible study. i uh, uh, going to be a little rough on them there, because we're, we're getting to verse 20 this week, where he, he said, whether it's by life or death, it doesn't matter as long as God is glorified. And then he goes on to say, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I gave them an assignment last week. At the bottom of their notes, I had that little phrase, for me to live is, and then I left it blank. And the question I asked is, how would you fill in that blank? For me to live is materialism? For me to live is pleasure? For for me to live is gain? Uh, do we put anything else in that, or do, can we say, for me to live is jesus christ is he number one in our lives if he is then he said you know what it doesn't make any difference whether we live or die because god's going to be glorified through whichever circumstance he chooses there he he goes on to say in that chapter he said you know if i had my choice i'd die i'd go home and be with christ in glory i uh, he had caught a glimpse of glory early in his career god had taken him up into the third heaven and and you know, he he knew what was ahead. He said, you know, if I had my druthers here, I'd be there with Christ in glory. But he said, I'm willing to stay if that's what God wants. I'm willing to live longer here if, if it means that he can use me somehow this way. Do we really believe that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Death can't separate us from the love of God. Neither can the angels nor the principalities. What's he dealing with there? I think he's dealing with the realm of the supernatural. Those angels may be God's angels. They may be the satanic forces. None of them can ever separate us from the love of God. Are you involved in a spiritual battle, the sport, spiritual warfare? It's real. The, the power that Satan has is, is great in some ways, but you know what? It'll never separate you from the love of God we have the victory through Jesus Christ our our Lord there that's what he's saying in verse 37 we overwhelmingly conquer it doesn't matter what the enemy is doing or up to Jesus Christ is greater than the forces of evil that would come against us in Colossians chapter 2 he speaks of the fact that on the cross he spoiled those principalities and powers we 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 struggle and we wrestle with them today, but they're a defeated foe. He said he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Jesus Christ. We're on the victor side. The battle, the end of the battle is is assured. We're going to see Christ be victorious today. Then he goes on to say, not only can, can these not separate us from the love of God, but neither things present nor things to come. I wonder how many times do we worry about tomorrow, worry about things to come. What's going to happen? What's going to be the outcome of this, this trial? We forget that our times are in his hands. He is the one in control of today. He is the one who has blessed us in so many ways. He is the one who never changes. He's the same yesterday yesterday today and forever so if you've experienced God's grace in your heart today he's going to be there tomorrow if he's able to meet your need today he's able to meet it tomorrow now as I look around uh, looks like we've got a a pretty good congregation here I don't see anybody hungry or starving or or, uh, you know, Paul said if we have food and clothing, we can be content with that. I don't see anybody in miserable set of clothes here this morning. So we can have that contentment. And he goes on to say we can rest tomorrow in his hands as well. The same God that took care of us today is going to be there tomorrow. Nothing, not even tomorrow, is going to separate us from the love of God. Our times are in his hands. And then he says neither height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. You know, uh, in in Psalm 139, he speaks of the fact, uh, in verse 7, the the psalmist raises the question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I go into the depths of Sheol there, if I make my bed of Sheol, thou art there. If I take my wings... Take wings on the, of the dawn, they dwell in the remotest part of the sea. Even there, your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. No matter where we are, where we find ourselves, we're not beyond the reach of God's love. I think we see a, a, a comical illustration of that in the book of Jonah. Remember, Jonah received a commission, I want you to go and I want you to preach to Nineveh. And so guess what Jonah did? He got a ship headed for Tarshish, the complete opposite direction. He was going to get just as far away from Nineveh as he could, and then he couldn't preach to Nineveh. Well, God was with him every step of the way. Along came the storm. In the midst of the storm, guess what? God was there. And then finally Jonah came to the conclusion, you know, if you throw me overboard, it's going to end this. The storm will be stopped. You'll be saved. And... and I'll be out of here. And so they picked him up and threw him into the sea. You know, I always wonder if Jonah was a little bit of a coward there. Why didn't he jump into the sea himself? Why, why did he put that burden on the, the sailors there? But, but he did. And then along comes the great fish, and it swallows him. And in the belly of the whale, or the fish there, he realizes, I haven't gotten away from God. God was there. Nothing. Nowhere we go can separate us from the love of God. No created thing can, can ever separate us from God's love. I, I, I've heard people, uh, uh, sometimes when I've used John ten twenty eight say, no one can take me out of my father's hands. They like to say, yeah, but we can take ourselves out of the father's hands. And my response to that always is, aren't you a created being? Romans says, nothing No created being can take us out of His hands. We are secure today in Jesus Christ. Years ago, we used to go on hikes as a family up in the mountains, and um, for some reason, I would take them on places where there was no trail. You know, I always wonder what's on the other side of this mountain, or uh, and you'd hear a lot of complaining along the way, but I think they enjoyed it. But uh, there were times when we were crossing the face of a mountain there where they could fall down the cliff. It it wasn't a a secure trail. It wasn't a very safe place. And so we would grab a hold of their hands. And and, uh, them would say, we can't make it. Let's go back. (laughs) But, you know, if you go back, you don't know what's on the other side, what what you're going to miss over there. And and so we would take a hold of their hands, and and you could feel them squeezing your hands as – You get into a tight place and so forth. They were secure, not because they were holding on to dad or mom's hands. They were secure because we were holding on to their hands. And that's the same thing with Jesus Christ. We're secure today, not as long as we hold on, but we're secure because he's holding on to us. We are safe in his hands. We can have that blessed assurance. We can know that Jesus is ours. I cut an article out of the Daily Bread several years back entitled Safe in Christ. Uh, F.B. Myers wrote the story of two Germans that wanted to climb the Matterhorn. And so they hired three guides to guide them up, and they began to go up the ascent of the steepest and most slipperiest parts. The men were roped together. It was a guide followed by one of the, the Germans, then another guide, then the other traveler, and then a final guide. They hadn't gone very far when the last man lost his footing and slipped. And for a moment he was held securely by the other four, but then because they just barely had toeholds, the fourth man slipped, and then the third man, and then the second man. They were safe because the first man had driven his spike deep into the ice and had anchored the rope to that. Because he held his ground, all five of them were able to regain their footing and eventually reach the top there. He conc- Myers concluded as he told that story, I am like one of those men who slipped, but thank God Jesus Christ held. He is the one who has guaranteed our salvation today. He that hath begun a good work in you will complete it. Philippians 1 6. Do we believe that today? Are we resting in the fact that we are secure in Jesus Christ today? Are we anticipating the day when we are going to be free even from the presence of sin? We're going to be with Christ in glory. As we think of that today, I think of the Lord's table. Uh, We're going to partake of that in just a few minutes there. But if you recall, as Jesus gave that to them, he said, do this till I come. He who has started a good work in you, he's coming back to take you home, to be with himself in glory. We can rest. We can have that blessed assurance today because Jesus Christ held on. Went to the cross. In a sense, he drove that spike in for us. Our salvation, our security rests not in ourselves, not in what we're able to do, but in what he has done for us. We can look forward to glory because of him and what he has done. And so I go back to my original question as we sing in just a few, after we have our elements here, as we sing blessed assurance. Do you believe it? Is it true in your heart? Do Do you really believe that he is able to finish what he started? in your life. Let's pray. Father, we sometimes wrestle with your love. Not that we don't appreciate it, but we don't fully appropriate it sometimes. And we get the feeling, am I going to make it? We have our doubts. We think we have to earn our way. And yet you said Jesus Christ did it all for us. Help us to live in light of that fact. Help us to as we approach the Lord's table this morning. Help us to give thanks for your completed work, for all that you did for us there on the cross of Calvary for us. Help us to appropriate that truth in our hearts and minds and live as if we really believe it. We pray in Jesus' name.